Welcome to episode 52 of the Antenu Energy Transition Podcast. Today we answer the following question. Is there a future for battery production in Europe and obviously also in Norway? And my guest today is Executive Vice President for Public Affairs and Sustainability at Freier Batteries, Hege Marie Norheim. Let's go. And it's the biggest investment on onshore Norway um, that will be made for decades. So very very challenging and you know it's a bit it is challenging to go to people and say hey come and invest in us or dear bank loan us some money we've never produced batteries before actually but you know trust us we can do this in this episode you will hear a lot about ira which is the inflation reduction act that was last year approved by congress and approved also by the biden administration in the united states Last Friday, the Norwegian government, in the person of Minister of Trade and Industry, young Christian Vestre, announced the Norwegian counterpart to the IRA, which includes, amongst others, 1 billion of NOC of financial support for large new battery-related projects, which might also support projects and project developers such as Freyr. Vestre said that this piece of legislation is better than the IRA, even though it does not come with the green tax cuts or direct production subsidies that some in the green industry had actually hoped for. You find a link to an article in the show notes if you're interested to learn more. I'm your host, Julius Wesche, and now let's get started with episode 52 of the Antenu Energy Transition Podcast. Welcome to episode 52 of the Antenu Energy Transition Podcast. And today's episode is about, is there a future for battery production in Europe? And obviously, I'm not alone. I'm having a great guest here with us. And she used to work in the prime minister's office in Norway in her 20s. She became state secretary very shortly after. Eventually, she uh, changed from policymaking to business. So she went to Equinor, where she told us, or she told me two weeks ago in a little talk she gave, that on the inside, she felt like being part of Greenpeace. And on the outside, she felt being seen as part of this big oil villain. And then eventually she did some other jobs, but now what she does now is that she works at Freier and uh, she's there, the uh, one of the executive vice presidents for corporate and public affairs and sustainability. And Freier is, yeah, it's been in the media a lot because of their ambitious plans for lithium ion battery production in Norway and in other places of the world. And we're going to talk a bit about Freier, obviously, in this episode as well. And apart from all of that, she's also uh, part of, she's on the board of directors of the Global Battery Alliance. So welcome to this podcast, Hege Marie Norheim. Thank you, Julius. What an introduction. Well, you apparently did quite a lot of things in your life already. So you earned that introduction. Yeah, old lady. There you go. <laughs> so these were the hard facts, Hege. Um, but You know, hard facts is only just one one side of the coin. So the first question from, from me to you is like, what gets you up in the morning and why do you now work at Freier? And, you know, you could do anything else, but why do you think that Freier is a good place to work? Why is batteries a good topic that needs attention and that you decided to work with? Batteries are so cool. It is the right place to be right now. Energy transition is the right place to be right now. And, you know, I, as we spoke about to when I gave that little talk, you referred to Julius, I have been in, um, I worked climate change actually for 30 years plus. Uh, and I mean, already from when I was a student, um, you know, I was just really keen to make sure that my life was spent on something that mattered. Uh, and when I when I sort of really dived into what I felt really mattered, 
um, the climate change challenge was clear, even back then when I came out of university in the beginning of the 90s. And I was part of, uh, you know, the first COP meetings, um, as you know, as you referred to working on the Prime Minister's office. And ever since, and even through, you know, into Equinor, through Noshkudro and then Equinor, you know, really understanding the, the couple between climate change and energy and how energy is fundamental for, for our lives, for our welfare systems, for our development. Um, it makes it really easy to choose this topic. And batteries is just uh, totally key to unlocking that energy transition. It is key for decarbonizing the transportation sector. And it is also absolutely key for sun and wind to scale as part of the energy system. And hence, batteries is just the coolest place uh, I could have ever ended. I landed. I am, I'm a lucky pig, as we say in Norwegian. <laughs> lucky pig, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. So, but you you just started right right away with, with talking about batteries, and this is what this episode is about. We had some other episodes with batteries, for example, vanadium flow batteries. Um, but maybe just like paint, paint us the picture for the ones... I'm sure there's some people here uh, who have... a a lot of knowledge about batteries, but maybe there's a lot of others who don't have that much knowledge. And I'm definitely amongst these ones. So Hege, can you draw us the big picture? Where do we need batteries and what are the like general differentiations between batteries? So how can you build batteries and what are the different use cases? Okay. So I'm not, a, I'm not an engineer like many of, of those listening to you maybe, but let me do it my way then. Um, you know, clearly we've had We've all we're all used batteries in our you know in our phones and in our torches and even in cars of course that little uh, lead acid battery that we in Nor Norwegians know very well because sometimes they're totally dead and you have to <laughs> turn them on. Um, and batteries has actually had a, has a 200 year story. There are some books I would love to recommend for those who are interested to to really learn about the story of batteries. But the lithium ion batteries, which is battery, which are batteries that can hold and be charged several times, um, had a breakthrough in the early 90s by Sony in Japan, developing them for the for the Walkmans and the phones and, and scaling it from there. And those are actually really the same batteries that have then scaled into uh, a size and a capacity that is being used for cars. And I would say um, there are different, different types of lithium ion batteries in the sense that you there are different chemical compositions that you can put into into that battery that will work and, and I think that development will continue the um, uh, the use for it has was very much then evolved into cars and has had a tremendous you know development and is really taking off now Norway is as you know one of the countries with the biggest penetration of electrical vehicles in the world. And so we're really getting into this uh, electrical vehicle battery industry, also on the recycling side. But, and they will typically last maybe 10 years plus uh, and can then go into a second life maybe afterwards. Um, the batteries that Fred will be producing, however, is um, into the grid. And I think this is really interesting and probably harder to understand because this is where we will put battery cells, which are like a thick book you know, typically a A4 size, but they're thicker. And then we will stack them into what we call modules and put on electronics so we can communicate with all these battery cells and control them. And then we will have let lots of modules into what we call um, racks or uh, packs, battery packs. That can be as big as houses, big, a big house full of battery cells. Um, and these will be then stationed next to or into the grid, often next to a solar or wind park. 
because when you know when the sun goes down nothing is produced by a solar uh, power plant a huge field of solar um, power you know solar panels will then have nothing to give but if but during daytime it will produce much more than is actually demanded except from in the morning when we all get up and have a shower in the evening when we all want to have dinner so there is a huge fluctuation both in wind and solar that battery can can uh, help uh, smooth out by storing and discharging uh, you know uh, alternatively so there's a we believe that that market will be as big for batteries as electrical vehicles it is absolutely key in order for solar and wind to scale because otherwise our systems just become incredibly unstable um and it's very exciting and we are i think the biggest market for this now is in the us where the grid connections are so under invest under invested so they That's will That's very nice of uh, how you call it <laughs> under invested. <laughs> so other they people need some would help. Yeah, other people would say other words. <laughs> help and we will we will provide that. So cool. uh, let me just mention because I know there are people that will be screaming for that. We use we will use batteries in 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 boats, ferries, uh, you know, and in trucks, big market in trucks, long distance uh, hauling of of goods, very important. Yeah, I was just wondering because these were in the beginning you were talking about stationary batteries and then this is also um yeah, transportation based batteries. Um and just for interested just for the ones people you're listening that are interested if you want to have a deeper insight on different batteries and how batteries are built and what you actually need for be building them and different types of lithium ion. There is an episode and that's number 37 uh, with Professor Anne-Marie Svensson here from Antenu. And there we actually talked about that. So that one is called the future of, uh, of electric batteries. So if you if you fancy that, then please also check out that episode 37. So can you Like you, you just talked about that there's 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 quite a lot of not demand yet, but maybe there's a lot of potential for these lithium ion batteries. If I'm the devil's advocate, I would say, okay, you just mentioned as well, Norway has the highest penetration of um, of of electric mobilities, and there's a lot of startups that I see popping up that try to make use of these electric batteries from cars, which are lithium ion batteries. So if I would be the, the devil's advocate, would I, uh, could I argue, hmm, will there not be a lot of lithium ion batteries coming from the, from the mobility market? Why do we need to build genuine, fresh lithium ion batteries that maybe didn't make a use or were not used yet in, um, uh, in, 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 in transport? Wouldn't it make sense from a recycling point of view to use these ones first? What's your answer to that? So the main answer to that is that you are wrong, that demand is not maybe there yet. It is an enormous demand, enormous demand. We, you know, and if you look at the Bloomberg analysis or Rista Energy or other analysis or on our website, we've also published these, you will see that demand for batteries, both in electrical vehicles, but also in ESS, which we call the, uh, the energy storage systems, which I was just talking about, is expected to 20-fold between 2020 and 2030 in 10 years, 20 times bigger, that's 2000% increase. Mm. And from then on to 2040, we, we expect a 60 time fold from 2020 to 2040, an enormous demand. So there, there is, you know, there's more than enough to both second life use of EV batteries into ESS, as well as fresh batteries. We need them all, massive mm. demand. Mm. Yeah. And, and why would you say, um, you know, I'm just roasting you here and you can always, <laughs> or tr trying to, you know, trying to. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there's like, you just call, you just use this abbreviation EISS, um, so the stationary uh, stationary use. There's a lot of other batteries um, that you can build. For example, I just mentioned these vanadium flow batteries, for example. They need more 
um, they need more space and you can build them under, for example, commercial buildings or next to them. Um, where do you see the potential for these kind of other types of batteries? Because there is this myth, and I don't know if it's a myth or not, but that lithium ion batteries can burn and that's why they are a bit less secure. So there is other types of batteries that can be used somewhere else. How do you see the, like, where does which type of battery fit best? Um, so, Julius, I think what's really important here is that a battery can have various, you know, there's various things that you want to get out of a battery. You want it to charge quickly. You want it to discharge quickly. You want it to hold a lot of energy. You want it to discharge, you know, extremely quickly, or you want it to keep, you know, have a long duration. Um, you want it to be able to do many cycles, etc. So all these variables have trade-offs. You can't get them all is sort of the idea. And we're, of course, trying to optimize the chemicals that we put into a battery to get most as much as possible of all of these. So therefore, you will see batteries that producers will have batteries. Some producers will have batteries that are, you know, for example, amazing in, uh, you know, taking, uh, you know, um, discharging a lot of energy very quickly in the beginning. And then they last don't last very long. That could be a perfect battery in the grid when, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, the energy suddenly falls massively from a gas power plant or, you know, something happens that unstables the grid. You want that battery to be able to recharge, you know, charge the grid immediately and quickly and with huge volumes. And then it will, you know, will do, do its job in five minutes and then does, it's not needed anymore. Others, et cetera, you want to, to, to keep longer. So for example, today we'll produce LFP batteries, uh, which doesn't contain uh, cobalt or magnesium or nickel, but uh, or magnesium for that matter, but we will, you know, LFP. And then, and that is a battery that takes longer to, to charge, but it holds more energy. Therefore, it's less useful in cars that you want to be able to charge um, quickly that you and I typically would like, but it's a very good battery for the ESS sector because it holds more energy and can, and can discharge yeah. longer. So, so they will have different uses. Yeah, so LFP just just for just for um, clarification, LFP stands for lithium ion phosphate battery, if I'm not mistaken. And just just because you were using this ISS thing all the time, and I know it's big, it's some one of the S is stationary, but what does ISS stand for? Completely? Energy storage systems. So it's ESS. ESS, and some will say battery energy storage system systems best. Okay, cool. So, so if we now kind of have an overview of like different, different types of batteries, and I know we have stationary and we have mobile applications and we have maybe lithium ion, different types of lithium ion. We have some stationary other batteries like flow batteries. We've talked about that. So, and you said that the demand is very likely to increase substantially in this decade and then the next decade. Can you give us an overview where we are right now and where we're actually coming from? So the last five years, like what's, what's hot, what's been developing, where are these batteries being um, developed? Developed. You know, everyone has heard about the, the Tesla Gigafactory, for example, and they're building up them. But can you give us an idea, like, where are we right now? Yeah. So the situation is that mm, somewhere between 80 and 90 percent, at least, of batteries in the world being produced today in 2022 and 2023 are produced in China. China is the by far biggest producer of batteries and have been so and have been doing it, as I said, for decades. But but it is awakening elsewhere. Uh, so in there are several productions uh, of batteries in the U.S. Tesla being the the largest one, but also and they and they are actually producing batteries together with the Panasonic from mm. from Japan. But they are um, in Europe alone. There are I think more than forty now initiatives to start producing batteries. 
different types of batteries. Um, that is a lot. I think nobody really expects all of them to actually be able to succeed. Um, but it is a, a clearly, and many of them, I would say, are in partnership with Asian producers, Korean, uh, Japanese, or, or Chinese. There are only a few that sort of are being based on new technologies that are not, um, you know, cooperating or co-investing with, with Asian producers. Fred is one of those. So I think that's also a very interesting question, you know, where, who owns the technology that is going to be produced in Europe and in and the US. And as far as we see now, most of that is going to be Asian uh, technologies. Um, but there are some, there's a lot of work ongoing to develop um, batteries that are solid batteries. We have licensed the technology that from America, from 24M, a company called 24M, that is semi-solid batteries, which we are then manufacturing or going to start manufacturing in Norway as well as in the US. So, uh, yeah, and, and then I think, uh, yeah, I think, think that's a, I, I know that, you know, other countries like India are, are also incredibly interesting uh, and interested in establishing battery production. And there are several initiatives there as well. There's so many initiatives. I think nobody really has the full overview mm. at, at all mm. times. Yeah, and I guess you have an overview because you're on the board of directors of the Global Battery Alliance, isn't it? That's probably why you have a little bit of overview well, there. Well, uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. No, true. <laughs> But can you maybe give us maybe one or two names of, of other initiatives? Just, you know, it's easier to, you know, to have, you know, have a project name really, or just to be able to Google something. Like, In Norway, yeah. just to skip to Norway, there are yeah. two other, I think, initiatives on the battery cell level or three, probably there's just a, another third one launched uh, and then with Fred it's four. So the, I think the most well-known is Moro that wants to uh, or are in the process of establishing battery production uh, in Ardendal in the southern part of Norway. And then it's Beyonder who uh, is already producing batteries in a in a sort of a piloting scale in, in Stavanger. And, um, and all three of us are going to produce different types of batteries, different chemicals um, with slightly different market segments, or not slightly, actually quite different market segments uh, that we are aiming for. Um, so what are, what are, for example, Moro and Beyonder then looking into? Like, which markets are they trying to serve eventually? So my sense is that, uh, that that's, I'm sure, is also under development. But um, my understanding is that Moro is looking more into sodium-based uh, uh, batteries. Um, and, uh, and then uh, Beyonder is working on a technology that is actually using um, uh, wood uh as uh, yeah, as an ingredient I, I was like was it straw was it wood yeah yeah it's like yeah 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 so um uh, last last week or two weeks ago when we when we both met for the first time and we actually met in stavanger and there was also an ex uh not execution that's the wrong word that's a german word uh there was a yeah some people had the opportunity to go to beyond and uh, have a chat with them yeah cool so so maybe let, let's dive in a bit deeper into into Freya um here you, you just said okay there's other op there's other projects there's other initiatives and there's other companies but let's let's have a look a look at Freya so Freya was founded if I'm not mistaken in 2018 and it, it went onto the New York Stock Exchange during uh, uh, like uh, during 2021 um and it's yeah and, and on the web page you see okay Freya's mission is to produce green battery cells to accelerate the decarbonization of energy and transportation systems globally um but it's based somewhere in the states and in norway but when you look at the board of directors it's mostly don't get me wrong but it's mostly white men and then there's three women and you are one of them uh, <laughs> and the names of the guys sound some part norwegian some of them are american so um 
Can you, oh, like English. So can you give us an idea, like why, why how did Flyer come around? What was the, 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 the initial idea? Who are the key people? Where are you guys right now? Great. So Freier uh, was an initiative back in 2018 uh, when it was uh, founded as a you know a group of five guys or something around uh, uh, like that who thought um, they wanted to look into whether you could we could do the same as Northvolt is doing in Sweden producing batteries um, and the idea was that the Nordics will will be a you know, potentially fantastic place to do this because of the renewable energy we have and and affordable energy that we also have. But um, so the, and then they they uh, you know within the two two years without much money but some money and it was hard earned money. Um, they chose they were able to develop a company that both chose a location for the first factory, namely Rana, mainly because of renewable energy that was that is sort of. Uh, hard to export for Nolan uh, region, so that is actually quite affordable energy because it has uh, it really wants to be uh, sold locally, has to be sold locally to put it that way, and then also because Rana Kommune has a industrial background through decades, so they're used to having manufacturing sites in amongst them, and that was and, and also had, mining or like if you go through Moirana, there's a lot of belts in the city and yeah, yeah. so they have had Janvarke, uh, so the iron um, uh, mine mining industry there for decades, and they also had prepared uh, you know huge areas already uh, regulated so it, we, we would have to, we could skip a two-year process by going there not having to go through regulation so that was the reason so they chose that they chose uh, a strategy for technology which was not to develop our own technologies we are licensing technologies and they found the 24m technology we already spoke about and got that license and then um they found money they were able to merge with a spac which is a company um, they have in the U.S., sort of a, uh, a company that you can create in the U.S., which you just fill with cash, put it on the stock exchange, and then you've got two years to find a company to invest in. And then that you merge with that company, and it's sort of invertedly then listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And that's what we did. Um, so we were then listed in 2021 on the New York Stock Exchange through this back in July. So, um, you know, two years uh, since that happened. And there we raised, uh, you know, almost almost uh, 7 billion Norwegian kroners, which is a lot of money and, and very much needed in this industry because it's very capital intensive. And then from there, we the first thing they did was to make sure to make the decision, the board, to make the decision to build the qualification plant because when you enter battery industry, you have you have a you have a few five, four or five very strenuous years in front of you. Every battery, as we discussed, have different components that it can maximize, and customers have different wishes. So you have to. It is not a commodity. It's not something you produce and then sell. You produce on spec. So you have to agree with every customer what to produce exactly. And to do so, you have to actually show them a battery that you have made, and then they test it, and that takes months. And then you have to go again and uh, you know tweak it and make another sample they test it so there can be years from the first initial conversations with customers and you need a test you need a test plant to produce those batteries then in order be before you get your order and then before you can start producing you also obviously have to build a factory for the giga production where the order goes in so this is like three four five years can be process where you spend a lot of money building the pilot factory conversations with customers and then building the 
the Gigafactory. And, um, and we're in the middle of that. We have built the, big, the pilot factory now. It opened in April uh, or March, April in Rana. It is a, that cost us a billion knock, um, which we raised on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, it is where we're really going to test out, and we are in the process of that now, testing out the first battery productions. And then we need we need to raise about uh, 1.7 to 2 billion uh, US dollars. So what is that? 20 billion knock um, for each gigafactory we want to build. A gigafactory that will be bigger than the Opera in Oslo, for those who sort of to get it. Uh, or There's some pictures of where we put the gigafactory into lower Manhattan, and it sort of occupies all of lower Manhattan. These are huge buildings, and it's the biggest investment on onshore Norway um, that will be made for decades. So very, very challenging. And, you know, it's a bit, it is challenging to go to people and say, hey, come and invest in us or dear bank, loan us some money. We've never produced batteries before, actually. But, you know, trust us, we can do this. <laughs> but we are. Mm, that sounds a bit challenging. Yes. Um, <laughs> again, being the devil's advocate here, Hege, um, I read some things, obviously, in, um, in Moirana, when you look it up, in 2018, had about, yeah, just under 20,000 people. And now this really large plant is being planned and, you know, it's there or it's going to be there. Um, what what kind of repercussions will that have on, on Moirana? What repercussions do you envision for New, for Newland, uh, for that for that county, if you if you say so? Um, I guess positive and negative, because it's, if it's big, it has negative impact on, on, on the environment potentially, but it, it also has some opportunity for development. So what's what's your stance? What, what's your expectations? And I'm not asking here, you know, I'm, this is a very genuine question, really. Okay, so uh, I can tell you that uh, if you ask Rana, um, the politicians at least, you, you know, they will say that this is the best thing that could happen to Rana ever. Uh, they invested in Freyr when they were only these five people who were, you know, looking into it. And they actually put uh, community money into the shares of Freyr to, to support us through that very important phase with, you know, because they really wanted it and they really believed in it. We... We have a couple of studies on the ripple effects of this uh, establishment in Rana, which show that you know there is no unemployment in Rana. So we will we are expecting to import, if you'd like, all the workers to Rana, and they will bring probably a lot of you know spouses and kids as well. So it it means that Rana will grow substantially, um, maybe between five and and ten thousand new inhabitants compared to the twenty twenty five that you just mentioned. So that's a big big change, of course. That means that we um, we will need schooling for these children. We will, you know, we will need work for the spouses, for for the family to be happy. The schooling may partly have to be in English because these are not these are probably going to be from all over the world. Um, and we will need a lot of new houses because there was zero houses for rent in Moirana, almost zero. I mean, literally, it was three or four. Um, so yes very big ripple effects on Rana. Most, I think most people, you know, this was a community that was in de decline in terms of uh, people moving away. So I think many at least um, find that a positive thing that we are bringing people, we're bringing jobs, we're bringing activity, we're bringing kids, we're bringing a future, if you'd like, if, and also for people to stay and invest and, and not having to move out to find, uh, you know, jobs or opportunities. And I think, um, 
the environmental impacts are going to be very minimal because they had these regulated um, areas where we can build the factory inside already industrialized areas. So I think we our study shows that there are none, if you'd like, you know, new uh, impacts in terms of, uh, of um, you know, environmental challenges. We will use energy, but that is available. Hydropower is being produced in, in the area, and we don't see any discussion that our presence are increasing the prices of energy to any extent. We have been very careful to make sure to have good dialogue with the other industrial industries in Moirana or employers so we don't steal people from them because that was one concern that we share and that we we, we address um, there will probably be some tr you know more traffic so suddenly in Moirana they might have a rush hour uh, which they haven't had before um, and then I think maybe the biggest challenge is is the construction period where we will have a lot of people coming in to construct the factory and they are not our employers they are typically you know the our contractors that we that we hire suppliers that we hire to come in and, and and both build the building and also put in the machinery and they might come from all over the world they are typically single uh typically men you know they stay for six weeks or or three months um and 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 that sort of influx of a lot of construction workers for a period who have you know days off and they go to the bar and they and they you know they also have try to have a life there while they're there um, that sort of can be i think a challenge that we want to make sure that we also address well sounds like yeah yeah a lot of things in such systems that then change that need to be taken care of and addressed yeah um, yeah, I never thought about obviously that the local uh, business owners are maybe afraid that then people go to Freyev that probably pays, I don't know, X percent more, which is yeah, very understandable. Yeah, for example. Good. But now you what I learned is that, yes, you have this qualification plant, if I may say so. Um, and then this new plant is planned. But now last year, a lot of things happened on the uh, in the political environment, not just in Norway and Europe, but also in the United States. And now ch plans are not being changed, but maybe uh, prioritization have changed, if I may say so, if I understand it correctly. Yeah. Can you, can you, can you give the audience an, a bit of an idea, like what's, what's, what's been happening? What is this? What, what, yeah, what's been happening? And I guess the keyword or one of the keywords is IRA. And um, maybe give us give us an overview of of the policy environment, Norway, Europe, USA. What's been changing, and what is changing, shaking up the market right now? Yeah. Okay. So I I try to say IRA because the British think that IRA is something. Oh, Irish Irish Republican Army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The militias in IRA. Okay, IRA. <laughs> IRA happened. Inflation Reduction Act. So um, in last year in August, uh, the Biden administration in the US suddenly announced, I think it was actually quite a surprise to most people, that they had been able to get an agreement in the Congress for a massive uh, you know, capital flow, let's put it that way, from the government of the US for the next 10 years into a, you know, a, a host of renewable or energy transition technologies. Batteries is one of them, but wind and solar and EVs, electrical vehicles and hydrogen and uh, carbon capture and storage are all covered. And uh, the amount of capital that the American state 
wants to uh, invest or give away, you know, um, support into this industry is unprecedented levels. And they are doing it in a way which is very simple. You don't have to apply. You just have to produce and then you can go and claim your money basically. Mm. And it, it really, for batteries, let me illustrate. So for batteries, what they say is that if you are able to get investors and customers and banks to agree for you to build a factory and you build it well, and you are able to produce batteries there, and those batteries are actually being picked up by customers, then we will pay you $35 per kilowatt hour that you have been able to get through all of that. Um, now, that uh, you know, for a for a battery factory that we were we were planning in the U.S., we were have been planning for a year already when this was announced in in August. Uh, we had a, we were planning a capacity of around so around let's say thirty gigawatt hours a year, and it takes some time to ramp up. So over so let's and we wouldn't start until 20, 25, 26. So let's until twenty thirty two when this is over, let's say we would produce about hundred gigawatt hours accumulative. That is thirty five. That is that is three point five billion dollars or thirty five billion Norwegian kroners that we could just go and cash in in support, which is immense. Which is crazy. The yeah, factory like, mm. I told you costs around twenty. Mm. So you know, and now this is a cash flow. So you have to, for economists, you have to you know calculate it back into twenty twenty four kroners to put it that way, and then mm. it's still way over twenty billion Norwegian kroners for that in support. So it will pay the whole factory and more. And then on top of that, we are actually selling the batteries to a customer, remember? And they're paying for it, of course, too. So I'd, we do think that we would have to, you know, the customer will say, hey, hey, you're getting so much support now. We want lower prices. So we're going to have to, that it will impact prices, we think, in, in the US immensely. And that's, of course, also the intention. Um, so we won't get double up, if you like. But yeah, it is. And the, and the, one, and the thing is, it's guaranteed. Uh, as long as you get through the project and you have the customer on the other end and you you know and you're able to produce actually so i would say the american government has put this up in a way where they are not taking any project risk or delays or cost overruns not their problem and they're not taking any technology risks as we actually have to be able to produce those batteries in such a sense that the, the customers are willing to take them that they work it's, it's i think it's incredibly smart and also it's, they've also said that if you are able to convince somebody today in the US that you are going to make this through their due diligence processes and whatever, what, you know, trust in you, then you can sell that future income to anybody and get cash now. So you're basically able to to sort of it's it's um, uh, yeah, it is liquid in the market, that future uh, potential and support from the government. So. This, of course, has, it's, it's going to change the it's going to change the US. It's already, isn't it? Like like everybody's mm. going and everybody's investing, and it's fantastic for the climate because it's and it was totally needed because the US were way behind the plans that they were had promised to do deliver on in, in Paris and on climate change and, and energy transition. But I think they are going to get really back on track. And we're going to see both, you know, enormous penetrations of new technologies and development of new technologies. And we're going to see prices come down and, you know, scaling is going to take prices down. It's going to be great for the whole world. And I think a lot of this is going to come back to Europe as well. And, and let's remember, China has been doing exactly this for at least 20 years, maybe 30. 
already. I mean, there is no continent in the world who has subsidized and invested and, and made sure that technologies have been mass produced and developed in this space as China has. I mean, batteries and solar panels and you name it, they have they are the ones who have done this so far, basically. So now the US are coming mm. you know, on to that stage. And I think very much so because they see that China is totally dominating it. You know, yeah. I think the US sort of woke up and looked at Ukraine and, 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 it, and really sort of felt how energy systems are a national security issue and decided that, okay, we're gonna have to do this climate change change. We're gonna have to transi transition into these new technologies, but we don't wanna be dependent on China, do we? No. Let's let's build this here and now. And by the way, that actually creates jobs as well. So that's of course a great side effect. Mm. Europe Europe is waking up to this, uh, Julius. Yeah. Uh, I think they were a bit angry in the beginning because uh, they felt that the U.S. were um, you know prioritizing their you know their own manufacturers, and they are. What can you say against that, though? Like well, it's illegal. You can probably say that it's illegal uh, mm. according to the WTO. But I think Europe has has decided to not make that take that angle, but rather mm. say, "Great, US, you know, wonderful, welcome. We wanted you into this. Uh, we're going to step up." So, but the problem with the EU or the challenge that EU has, uh, and I guess it's a strength as well sometimes, but in this case, I think it's a weakness, is that Brussels does not have control over the money in the EU. It sits with the, in the they have some money, but that budget is very little compared to all the member states, you know, budgets. And there's very little will, willingness to give EU even more money. And they do not control taxes in these countries. Like, so using that tool across the EU as the US have, you know, it's not, it's not in the toolbox of Brussels. So what they have done is basically say, they've changed the state aid rules for this for only these technologies and only for a short period of time and said go for it member countries you can do what the us has done only this time only for these technologies and then unlimited levels uh, you know whatever you would like to but you know we are not going to stop you with any state aid rules on this one and so now it's over to the member countries france has said thank you very much this is our scheme and it looks very much like the us actually Germany has uh, also started negotiating with 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 um, on a more of a case by case basis. My understanding, so they have already landed a deal with Northwold that made Northwold come back to Germany instead of going to the U.S. for for a big battery factory. Spain is on it, and we are waiting in Norway to hear from the government uh, as well. Yeah, because I was I was wondering when 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 the IRA really IRA really hit that as you said that there were a lot of policymakers in Europe that were not super happy but on the other hand it is really good that the United States is doing something but the United States is obviously attracting a lot of investment money now it's attracting a lot of talent as well and that's obviously it's, it's going to be partly coming from from Europe from European countries and the question is like what's Europe going to do about it and you just uh, mentioned some of the repercussions or some of the the, the counteractions or the the additional actions that are currently taking place so that's that's good to see but yeah as you just said we're waiting now for what the Norwegian government is for example doing so not every country has had the guts or the time or the capacity to already implement strong uh, strong incentive laws or the money as well Yeah, so so maybe when we come to this now, also a bit to the end of the episode, um, you know, in the beginning we started off with this question of, is there a future for battery production in Europe? And what we just hinted to as well that Freier is now going all in or going big in in the United States, and this this factory in Norway is a bit 
I don't know if on hold is the right term and I don't know what what's the right term that you guys are using, but it's maybe not be implemented as fast. So so what is, uh, where do you see Europe right now? Where do you see Europe in five years? And, you know, this, I would like to, uh, you to answer this question. Is there a future for battery production in Europe? So just to start there, the answer is yes, there's a future for battery production in Europe. Um, I think the situation you need to understand is that for many of the new companies that are starting up in this space and the initiatives that we were talking about are companies without a big balance sheet. You know, we need to finance all of these things on a project by project basis. So project financing is what we call that. And that means that we have to put together, you know, investors and um, banks for each build for each of the factories. And so, you know, you know, as much as we would love to build the Gigafactory in Norway, which we were, we've always planned to build first, and we have actually started, so that you can see on our web pages that the factory building is almost finished, or maybe two thirds, and we've spent two billion knock there already, but of our own equity because we are we are working on the banks to come along, but they are now saying, you know, if we, I hear what you say, it's a good project, but. Can we just have a look at this project you have in the US? Because when we look at that, the profit is three times bigger because of IRA. So can we start there? Because that we would be interested in starting there, actually. Let's start there. And so for us to convince investors and banks to do this very interesting project in Norway that we believe in and want to do, you know, it's just got gotten really hard. Um, and it and it's not because we need, because we're an un, you know, profitable company or unprofitable projects it's just so much more profitable over here but it will come because it's totally you know it's it's you know europe has uh, a lot you know europe has the biggest ev industry for now i would however say you know watch out because china is coming on that uh, in that area as well big time so i think the ev producers in europe are really uh, gonna you know have to um yeah look to what china is coming up with but but and what i think is really interesting is EU is leading in terms in the battery space on sustainability requirements, way ahead of anybody else. And and we haven't spoken about that, Julius. But but we think that you know when we go to, go through this transition, we have to make sure that we and we scale twenty times, sixty times over the next decades. Man, we better be sure that what we're scaling is good, right? So we want to scale batteries that are clean or low carbon that do not have lots of chemicals in the supply chain or water issues or no child labor and no uh, child labor exactly or forced labor no unsustainable mining practices all these lovely things yeah and it's not and that's not going to be easy because you know i don't know if you noticed but the price of lithium you know went five times over a very short period uh the last couple of years so i can tell you every country is looking for do we have lithium here and every family is looking for lithium in their backyard if you you know that the incentives for this scaling and this and this place of opportunity if you put it that way for a lot of countries with resources uh is is enormous and is of course going to drive shortcuts on the social and human rights and the environmental side so those of us who are in this need to make sure that that it doesn't happen and we and we have to pay for it you know, you have to be willing to then share value across the supply chain from, you know, to the miners and the processing and into the factories and into the market. And we need to, uh, you know, you know, not accept unacceptable wages and child labor and all that. And I think the EU is doing it has been, you know, luckily in a way, EU has been working on this for two, three years. 
not really knowing or believing, I guess, or seeing the scaling that was is, is about to come, and, and and particularly now with IRA. So, but they're ready. And then they voted just now. The parliament are voting on the battery regulation, and the council is doing the same. We're getting the triple, you know, this the corporate sustainability due diligence directive in place, which is called CF Triple D. I love these abbreviations. And uh, and the corporate sustainability reporting directive is is uh, getting there, which means and it's influencing the rest of the world because these regulations out of the EU are addressing our supply chains. So you cannot produce, you cannot put a battery into the European market unless it comes with a battery passport, which is a digital sort of, uh, what do we call it, a folder or, um, or you know. Um, certificate. Certificate. Uh, yeah. And it will tell you how big the, it has to say how big the carbon footprint from the mine through the processing into the battery manufacturing is for each battery. And uh, in 2027, I think it is, they have decided that they will set a maximum level that you have to get under in order to place the battery on the European market. And they, do, they are doing requirements on recycling content. They're doing re requirements on recycling um, of the battery itself. Uh, they're also doing requirements on due diligence on human rights, et cetera. So, and when we now do invest in the US, because of IRA, we will have battery passports for those batteries because we want to be able for those batteries to, to be sold to the EU. So I think the EU regulations are going to impact the whole world in a very positive way um, as such. And I and I see a lot of, uh, in, of these 40 initiatives in Europe, including in Norway, that are not necessarily have the opportunity to go to the US or, um, or you know, and are sort of on course for serving the European market. Um, and expecting that to happen. I think the challenge for those battery those uh, battery producers is going to be the price of batteries because that will be influenced by what's happening in IRA and by the Chinese subsidies. So, you know, if you produce with high cost in Europe, that's your challenge. You're going to be competing with very low cost batteries coming through from these subsidized areas. But, so it, but it will happen. Hmm, so automation and efficiency there will be key. Yeah. So but hey, China Again, and the US are going to go automatically. The same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it doesn't sound as if it's a very, very easy environment for European producers. And No, I think we will. We, we do. I mean, to, to establish this for sure, the governments have to, you know, mm -hmm. there has to be a public-private partnership in establishing a new industry like this, and especially in these in this context and circumstances, uh, but there is definitely room for battery industry in the Europe, and, and, I'm, sh and I'm sure it will happen. Hege, thanks for joining me for this podcast today. It was really enlightening. I love your energy and I love the way you talk. And it was I learned a lot. So thanks for that. I know that Fryer is probably hiring some people. So is that something that you're interested in? And if people are listening to this podcast right now and thought, oh, this Hege lady, maybe she's kind of cool. Maybe at least she's nice. I don't know. But maybe I would like to reach out to her and to Fryer. What's the best way to reach you, Hege? Yeah, so uh, jobs in Freyad, absolutely. Look at our websites and put your CV in and talk about what you do because we will use, uh, you know, intellect, um, artificial intelligence to match, uh, you know, all those CVs with our with our uh, requirements going forward. So you will hear from us then if you put your CV in there. I think, and yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from people. So please reach out. I would love to continue the conversation. And thanks for having me, Julius. My pleasure. And we're going to put the link to your LinkedIn profile into the show notes. Thanks, Hege. All the best to you. Take care. Good luck with Freya. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
This was the episode with Hege from Fryer Batteries. I hope you learned something. I hope that this episode provided you value. If it did, please feel free and give us a five-star rating on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts so that even more people actually will be shown this podcast and that the community can grow and we can all jointly accelerate the energy transition in Norway and the Nordics. We will be back in two weeks with an episode on how to support impact and climate startups here in Norway and in the Nordics. And we will be joined by Jörn Honas, who is the investment director at Catapult, which is probably yeah the largest impact startup accelerator in the Nordics. I would be really happy for you to join also for that episode in two weeks. Until then, take care, stay safe, and have a good time. Bye-bye.